We're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're getting back into our normal routine of going through the scriptures. But isn't Resurrection Sunday, isn't it a beautiful time of year? And we had a beautiful day and beautiful services. And allow that hope of resurrection to abide with you. It's a great hope to have within us. So we return to 1 Samuel. And in chapter 8, Israel has asked Samuel the prophet, go before God and give us a king. And God will give Israel a king. But he tells Samuel, he says, don't worry about it, Samuel. It's not that the people have rejected you. They have rejected me. God, using and working through the desires of the people there in Israel, even though their desires are to be like other nations around them, and much of the time our desires can be very selfish. And so in chapter 9, as we will get into it today, gives us a behind-the-scene information about Saul the son of Kish, the first king of Israel. So 1 Samuel 9, 1 through 5. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Alphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul, There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than all of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you. Arise and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, through the land of Shalisha, but he did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. And when they came to the land of Zup, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Saul's father, Kish, was a mighty man uh, in Israel. And mighty usually meant he was very wealthy. He's a wealthy man. Saul came from a wealthy family. He's very tall. He's handsome. And we read he was the most handsome man among the children of Israel. In the story of Saul through the donkeys, and through Samuel, notice how God works in the events of the life of Saul. It's interesting, the things that go on. Saul is not having a string of coincidence happen to him. God is directing every detail around this young man, even 
the donkeys being lost. Now, you wouldn't think God would use something like a donkey wandering off as an instrument to use in a life, but he does. And God uses small things in our lives many times. Have you ever lost your car keys? <laughs> there could be a deeper significance to that than we sometimes would consider. A couple of weeks back, we uh, were all going down to the theater to watch Samaritan's Purse, uh, the movie Facing Darkness. Lori changes purses. She goes to a bigger purse. We're going to stop and get a little candy we can take into the movie theater. And so she changes purses. And we're a couple miles down the road when she is. Stop, turn around. Why? <laughs> she had forgot the tickets. And so we turn around and go back home, get the tickets. But you never know what these small inconvenience, these delays, that they're not right in the center of God's purposes for our life. And this small delay quite possibly was of the Lord. Many times we're delayed for our own safety and good. Gail Irwin tells a story about how he was going to make a flight in England and he had a flat tire. This flat tire kept him from catching the flight that he wanted to come back to the United States on, and that flight crashed. God is in the small details of our life. But notice in verse 5 how Saul, as a young man, he's concerned about his father's concerns. Saul said to his servant, Come, let us return home, lest my father stop caring for the donkeys and starts worrying about us. What a considerate son Saul is. He's a caring young man. But the good servant speaks up and he says, Well, what he says we'll read in 1 Samuel 9, 6 through 14. And he said to him, Look, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. In other words, or lead us to our donkeys. Then Saul said to the servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring this man? For the bread of our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? What a good thought. Bring the prophet a present. <laughs> So the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go see the seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer, because they were to see the future. Then Saul said to the servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up to the hill to the city. They met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered and said to him, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. 
As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city, and, <clears throat> and, they, were the, and they were coming into the city. There was Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. This trusted servant of Saul has a solution. Bring a gift to the prophet Samuel. And this is how the prophets and the priests lived. They lived off the gifts of the people. And the prophet was called a seer because they had knowledge, usually, or foresight of the future. And that's a good thing to know when you're looking to make plans, if you know someone that can tell you the future. And it was customary to bring a gift to the seer if you were looking for answers. The prophet Samuel has a reputation, and it's a good reputation. He's a man of God, an honorable man, and all that he says the Lord brings to pass. What a reputation. Saul and his servants find their way to Samuel. And now we will see why Samuel's words do come to pass. And that's in verses 15 through 21. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel first saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, the one who shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow. I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. I'll give you all the information you need, Saul. But as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom uh, is all of Israel's desire? Is it not for you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Saul has questions. Why are you saying all these uh, glorious things about me and my family? But before Saul arrives to see Samuel, we get a glimpse of another behind-the-scenes behavior here. Verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear. The day before God had whispered to Samuel the things to come concerning Saul. 
Samuel, you are to anoint Saul as commander or ruler over my people, Israel. This displeases Samuel. And that's when the Lord had said to Samuel, they, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But I'm going to give Israel what they want. I'm going to give them a king to save them from the Philistines. The Philistines were a constant enemy of Israel. Saul, you're about to anoint, uh, Samuel, you're about to anoint Saul as commander, as ruler over my people, Israel. Israel's cry has come up to God, and God has looked upon his people, and there's a couple things for us to consider here. God whispered to Samuel. In chapter 7, we see that God thundered against the Philistines, and he thundered in such a loud way that it disoriented the Philistines, and then they were taken captive or slaughtered by Israel. But God has whispered to Samuel about Saul becoming king. You ever consider some Christian terminology we use? We like to call our devotions quiet times. Quiet times. One of the reasons we get quiet in our quiet times is so we can hear God whisper. There have been quite a few occasions in my life where I felt God has spoken to me. Now, God can speak to us in any way he chooses. It doesn't necessarily have to be a whisper but it doesn't necessarily have to be thunder either. God uses teachings. He uses sermons that we will hear to speak to us. God can use circumstance. God can use radio and Christian television even. even. <laughs> God uses particular pastors at particular times. There have been times in my life where a certain pastor would just, every time he spoke, he would be ministering to me. And that's, that's good. God uses books. God uses movies. God uses mostly his Bible, his word to speak to us. And even sometimes God will whisper to us. Ever have God by his spirit bring a scripture verse to mind and that scripture verse fits so perfectly with what you're going through in your daily life? Well, I, I have and I'm sure you have. There was a time, there was a period in my life when I was very bold before God and I would just ask him any question that was, you know, concerning me. And he would be so faithful to answer me by bringing a scripture verse to mind. And sometimes I'd have to go look and see, see what that scripture verse was. Just look up the verse and chapter he just gave me. And they would speak to my heart and to my mind. 
Samuel's words as a prophet come to pass because God speaks to Samuel in a still, quiet voice, whispering in his ear. Last week, we just talked about how Jesus mentions Mary. All he says is her name, but he says it in such a way that instantly she knows that it's her Lord. Just one word, Mary. Let me challenge you, in your quiet time, be quiet. Be quiet. Perhaps God wants to speak to you in a small, quiet whisper. One of Israel's greatest prophets, Elijah, he had revelation from God when he is on the run from Ahab and Jezebel. And let me read a couple verses out of 1 Kings. You don't have to turn there. Just a couple verses. Elijah is holed up in a cave and he says, God says to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, quiet voice. Elijah receives instructions for his mission from God, not in a strong wind, not in a, a wind that is so strong it actually tears rocks apart. And he's not in the earthquake, and he's not in the fire. But God was speaking to Elijah in a small, quiet voice. Verse 16, it tells us that Samuel, uh, I'm going to, Samuel hears from God, I'm going to send a man from the tribe of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander or king. And Samuel gets this word in a whisper. God is speaking to Samuel very quietly but very succinctly. My people, they've cried out to me, and now I look upon their concerns. And for God to look upon a concern means God takes action. God doesn't look at our situation or our problems and then just say, hmm, too bad. <laughs> no, he acts on our behalf when he looks upon our situation. Now, <clears throat> I'm an independent type person. I like to solve my own problems. And my self-sufficient problem-solving ways can be a hindrance in receiving God's solution to my problem. Israel, God's people, they cry out to God, and then God looks upon his people so that he what? so that he may save them. And in this case, it saved them from the Philistines. Our lives 
are actually chock full of opportunities and circumstances that are there for our own good, that are there for our growth. God wants each and every one of his children to grow and mature. <clears throat> we can sometimes look upon difficult times or trials as being burdensome, and who doesn't? But it's through trials, it's through hardships that we grow and mature in the Lord. The biggest need for any of us as Christians is maturity. So what does God do? Sometimes he would discipline us through trials for that maturity to have an effect and come forth in our lives. Because God's disciplines bring forth godly character. And we're told that God disciplines whom? Those he loves. A true sign of sonship of God is the fact that he disciplines us. He disciplines those whom he loves. When Saul hears of God choosing him to lead his people, he has a response. He says, hey, I'm a Benjamite. That's the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the smallest family in the tribe of Benjamin. And the early days of Saul are good days because he's overwhelmed that God would choose him. And he's overwhelmed by Samuel's words to him. And then verse 12, we see, so Samuel, why do you speak these words to me? Why are you saying these words? And the early days of Saul are very humble. And they're very good days in the eyes of God towards Saul. So let's read verse 22 through uh, uh, chapter 10, first verse. Now Samuel took Saul and his servants and brought them into the hall and had them sit in place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh in its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back, it was set apart for you eat for until this time it has been kept for you since I said I invited the people so Saul ate with Samuel that day and when they had come down from the high place into the city Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house they arose early and it was about the dawning of the day when Samuel called Saul onto the top of the house and saying get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and they both went outside, he and Samuel. Saul anointed uh, king. Saul anointed king as they were going down to the outskirts of the city. Samuel said to Saul, "Tell the servant to go on ahead of us." And he went on, "But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God." Chapter 10, one verse. Then Saul took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because of the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? 
and Saul is invited to eat and celebrate and have fellowship with the prophet. In verse 22, Saul is given the seat of honor that day at this feast, this dinner that's being held, and it's a dinner where about 30 important people are there. Saul is given this special cut of meat, and it's set apart for him in particular. Samuel invites Saul to the rooftop early in the morning. Get up, Saul, for I have a word of God for you. And Saul is departing, and they're walking with Samuel, and Samuel tells Saul, stand still, stand here, and let the others go ahead, for your life is about to have a great change, Saul. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 10, Samuel takes a flask of oil, he pours it on Saul's head, and uh, declaring, I anoint you, commander over God's people. Saul did not choose to be king. Samuel did not choose Saul to be king. God did. God chose Saul to be king. And Saul is humbly, he's told uh, Samuel, I am the least of my tribe. And my family, they're of nobody. They're, they're just a small little family. And this is when Saul is great before God. He's great because he's humble before God. No one enjoys the interaction of fellowship with you folks more than I do. I certainly enjoy our fellowship. I have been around our youth. And we have a good group of young'uns. We do. <laughs> They're a good group. And I enjoy them. Uh, I joke around with them, probably too much at times, but I still like, enjoy joking around with them. But let me speak from my heart. It humbles me greatly that God has called me what I consider the least worthy of, of all of us. He's called me to be a pastor. I can't tell you what a shock that was to my system when I began to realize God was calling me into the ministry. And out of true humility, I do the best I can to live up to that calling. I want God to say, well done to me. But the absolute most I can do is what God has called me to do. And that's the same truth for each and every one of you. The most you can do is be what God has called you to be. And the calling of God is where it's in his hands. The Apostle Paul, though, he keeps everything in perspective. And he gives us a list of our qualifications. And that's in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. I'll read that to you. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many notable, not many of the noble are called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring uh, to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God has also said, he said, I will not share my glory with any man. How important it is for us to remain humble before the Lord. This list of traits that Paul speaks about is simply be humble, realize who you are, realize that it is God's calling, and he is sufficient for what he calls you to. So the message. Let us serve God in the calling that it may glorify God. Whatever you're called to, and I don't know what anyone is called to, that's between you and God. I can see sometimes traits. I can see gifting, just like all of us can. But we are to glorify God in whatever we're called to. We will have people in the prayer room that will be happy to pray with you concerning perhaps the calling upon your life. So take advantage of those in the prayer room, then they'll be happy to pray with you. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.